0: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: This is a Vault Studios production.
2: I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. But they made an informed
3: decision to kill him. That's on record. That's from their own testimony. This case
4: is still taught at the Academy today because they don't want agents to forget You know, you you may go out there and you feel you have all these cameras and you have a gun on your belt and you have people around you. But, you know, anything could happen and you have to be aware and always be um, cognizant of the dangers of the job.
1: August 2020. It's a somber and quiet scene. A line of dozens of uniformed officers and border agents standing shoulder to shoulder on the tarmac. They're there to honor and remember a colleague, a man who was abducted and killed decades earlier, just doing his job.
4: All the federal agents from that area formed a line uh, when he got off the plane, and the pictures are very powerful. I mean, even the port director herself was out there.
1: But these officers are also there at this specific moment in time to let it be known that they're watching and that they'd never forget. Not that long ago, cameras weren't everywhere. Doorbell cameras, door surveillance cameras, the camera on the phone in your pocket. Of course, nowadays, they are everywhere. So it's almost hard to imagine a world where you could walk down the street and reasonably assume you weren't being captured on video. Maybe even tougher to imagine a border crossing station without cameras. But back in 1984, that was the case. At least one of the crossings between the United States and Mexico, the Del Rio Point of Entry, only had human eyes to keep track of all the people coming and going across the border. And it was there that Richard Latham was working as a customs inspector on January 27, 1984, when a car pulled up with four men inside. And as is common with border crossings, Latham decided to search the car. Maybe it was a familiar routine at that point for Latham, going through a car and checking for any contraband, stuff you couldn't take across the border back then and still can't today. But this night would be anything but routine.
4: That night, uh, he was searching a car just like he normally did. Uh, I believe the uh, few of them got out of the back seat, and um, Latham was searching the car and found a bag or two, a pillowcase of jewelry.
3: January 1984, U.S. Customs Inspector Richard Latham was searching a car with four men inside at the Del Rio Port of Entry when he discovered a bag full of jewelry hidden under the seat. The
0: only thing he did to those. Uh, those four guys
4: was he went to work that day. That's all he did. And obviously, that's a red flag. Hey, these guys are traveling from Acuna, Mexico. They have this bag of jewelry. What's going on? So they, uh, according to the court records, uh, which was the um, confessions of some of the, the, there were four of them,
3: that they
4: uh, pushed Richard Latham back in the car, held him at gunpoint and drove away.
1: Mike Perez is a former border agent. He recently talked to Ken's Five reporter Vanessa Croy, About that night,
4: he had just gotten off work when Richard Lathan came on. So they kind of, you know, high fives, hello, whatever, uh, in passing. He pointed it out to me. You know, there were no cameras back then. So you think now, if you ever gone to one of those international bridges, there are cameras everywhere. You can't even pull up even close to it and get out of your car without somebody running over. Like that is security is so tight. Uh, but back then, it it wasn't. You know, you, th- you think it's such an odd thing, but he said, you know, it was really nine eleven that made them, you know, increase security, you know, hundred times.
1: Without those all seeing cameras, it's hard to say exactly what happened or how Latham was pulled into the car. All we know is that he went from searching the car to finding himself captive inside the car, just like that, and no one even noticed.
4: Kedda said it was a while before anyone realized that he was actually missing, because once again, they had no cameras. They didn't have, uh, you know, like we do today, where they're scanning license plates when you're pulling through the the bridge, you know, the cameras catch that. They had to actually go through the log of license plates to try to figure out and put the pieces together, what's the last car that he looked at. So it took them a good while to do that. Um, And so they obviously figured out that he was missing. Basically, the entire town was waiting at the bridge all night, waiting. What happened? Where is he? What can we do? People were driving the back roads, you know, on their own doing searches. And once again, Del Rio is a city of probably, oh, I think it's about 30,000. Back then it wasn't quite so large, but then it's very rural around that. Uh, and so people were driving all over just trying to find him and, because nobody knew what happened.
1: What they didn't know is that Latham had been pulled into the car with the jewelry thieves and he'd never be seen alive again.
4: Where, you know the search was going on. A big manhunt was trying to find what what was going on, and then um, they did find his body the next morning. Um, it was off. There's a road that connects Del Rio and um, Eagle Pass. It's Highway 277, and they found his body somewhere along that highway.
1: Richard Latham's body was found in a ditch off the highway. He was handcuffed and still wearing his uniform. He'd been shot twice in the back, and investigators still had no idea who was behind the murder.
4: And. Um, The manhunt began, like, who did this?
1: As it turns out, it wouldn't take long for police to catch up with two of the four fugitives. They were passengers in a taxi cab, and the cab was pulled over.
4: They were pulled over by a state trooper, and according to court records, one of them shot himself in the taxi cab, and the other one, um, they pulled him out, talked to him. He was pointing the fingers at everyone else. They figured out who it was, and because they had the bag of jewelry in the taxi.
1: It must have been a shocking scene on the roadside that day. A traffic stop, a suicide, an arrest. But investigators were piecing the story together. Four men from El Paso who had crossed the border into Mexico, robbed a jewelry store, traveled back into the country, abducting and then killing Richard Latham along the way. Eventually, the two remaining suspects turned themselves in. And the full story of Latham's murder was revealed.
4: Uh, Later, uh, the suspects told authorities, um, what had happened, um, that they pushed him in the car, held him at gunpoint. Uh, they tied him up with his own handcuffs and shot him with his, his gun, with Latham's gun. Um, and as Mike Pettis said, he probably heard them discussing how they were going to kill him because he spoke Spanish. So it's just uh, heartbreaking. It's just so awful. Um, I know they shot him twice in the back, um, Perez told me that the town was just outraged. I mean, it was just, this is a customs inspector. This, I mean, this is a federal agent.
1: And maybe not surprisingly, the accused killers blamed one another.
4: The other two that turned themselves in, I know they were not, they pointed the fingers at uh, Rafael Calderon, Calderon Velasquez, and he pointed the fingers at them, but I believe that he was the one, obviously, who was the trigger man and was convicted on state and federal charges.
1: That's where you might imagine this story could end. But it didn't. 36 years later, Vanessa Croy reported on the latest developments.
3: Calderon Velasquez has spent the last 36 years in a federal prison. That is until last month. The convicted killer returned to Del Rio, Texas, on his way to being a free man. The Texas Rangers walked Calderon Velasquez past a chain of agents, a silent show of unity for one of their own killed in the line of duty. And a few days later, Calderon Velasquez was transported to El Paso, where he was released on parole.
1: That's right. Released on parole. The man accused of killing a federal agent with his own gun.
3: I do know that he was,
4: um, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice confirmed that he was issued state parole back in 2008. Once again, we could not confirm exactly why necessarily because the family told me that they were not notified that he had even been given state parole back in 2008, which is another odd thing. Uh, When they found out that he was being released from the federal prison they thought there was still some something they could do to hold him in the state, um, in the state, like something, some kind of charge or something they could hold him on instead of just letting him go. Right, and so the Texas Rangers actually flew up to Terre Haute, Indiana, to get him and bring him back to Maverick County.
1: But whatever they thought that might achieve, it didn't work, and no one seems to have any clear answers.
4: I called the Maverick County Jail because that's where I thought he was. And they said, well, he's being released. And I said, to where? And they couldn't necessarily tell me. Um, I had heard they were going to, they were taking him to Valverde County Jail. And I called Valverde County and they said, no, we're not taking him. He, there's no reason for him to be here. Um, and then we found out, I believe the next day or two days later, that he was in El Paso and he had been
3: granted parole. A man convicted of killing a federal agent is free today.
2: Rafael Calderon Velasquez was released from prison despite being given a life sentence.
3: We reached out to the Federal Bureau of Prisons to see why he was released from federal custody, but weren't able to get an answer, something Latham's family wasn't able to get either. So adding to the family's grief, they haven't really been given any answers. Del Rio native Sharon Ansic represents Latham's family. The Latham family is heartbroken. This release has reopened a decades-old wound for them. Anzik said they weren't notified that the man who admitted to killing their father was even set to be released. His killer was supposed to spend his lifetime in prison. And Richard Latham didn't get that lifetime. He didn't get to walk his daughters down the aisle. He didn't get to rock his grandbabies to sleep. Rafael Calderon Velasquez took that away from him. They want for their father's legacy to be remembered, for his sacrifice to not, not have been for nothing. Badez said the agency won't forget either. We're in the third generation
4: now, and they're still doing everything they can uh, to keep his memory alive and to
1: make sure justice is served
4: you know, this really affected this entire community. And, and when I tell people this story, you know, he, Richard Latham was a federal agent. I mean, it, you know, it's something that they still carry with them today, this entire community, and they don't want people to forget. Um, and and the, um, another, I don't know if irony is the right word, but his um, grandfather was also killed in the line of duty. So, um, and he was a, a port inspector as well.
0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, here with Reed Redmond and Spencer Brudig. And uh, guys, I know you have a few questions about this case. I also want to get into that last detail that Vanessa mentions right at the end of the story about his grandfather, uh, Richard Latham's grandfather, being uh, in a similar situation when he died. It's pretty eerie. Uh, and just want to talk about that a little bit more. Reed, I think you had a question about the case itself. Yeah, just one point of clarification. Were these men, when this happened, were they coming to the U.S. or were they returning to the U.S.? My understanding is they were in Texas, they went into Mexico, robbed this jewelry store, then were coming back home. That's, that's the information I have on, on, on that question.
2: And Will, can you tell us more about His grandfather in that story because it's it like you said it is very eerily similar and even when you look at pictures they look like each other and they had a similar ending correct
1: yeah I mean so she mentions it at the very end and honestly I didn't even know about this until she mentioned that at the end of of my interview with her but uh, his, his grandfather and his name was James Wallen he was a 45 year old U.S. Customs inspector he was shot in the chest as he investigated a suspicious vehicle parked near. That same entry after closing the port of entry for the night. So, I mean, the the coincidence, if you want to call it that, is just it's uncanny. Apparently, uh, the suspicious vehicle was being loaded with rum that had been smuggled into the U.S. So, uh, I'm getting this from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection website. Two rum runners to the shooting when Inspector Wallen came upon them loading illegal liquor into the car. Wallen shot one of the smugglers and uh, shot him two times and discharged his pistol four times. Uh, he'd been with the, the United States Customs Service for just six months. So, I, you know, I, I think just to have that in your family history, and then, you know, for his grandson to die in a similar manner decades later is just wild. And, and incredibly sad for that family. You know, I'm sure in that area, you have a lot of people who are part of the community who then work, you know, at Border Patrol and, and have jobs in that area, so... I don't know, I was just sort of struck by that comment right at the end of the interview and, and how how important a detail that, that is in this story in a way. Something else, Will, I wanted to ask you about. You got into how uh, Calderon Velasquez was recently released, that one of the other suspected killers, Jesus Ramirez, took his own life. What about the other two suspects in this case? Where did they end up? They ended up serving time and then were later released, according to uh, authorities. So they, they, you know, a few of them did serve time in addition to Calderon Velasquez, uh, but they were released uh, much earlier, I believe.
2: I actually have an interesting statistic. It is apparently very dangerous to be a part of the Border Patrol. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency, um, 123 officers have been killed in the line of duty since 1904, which is more than any other federal law enforcement agency during that time period. So um, I I guess it does happen uh, much more often than than we think
1: so we will certainly you know let our listeners know if we hear anything more about why he was able to be released if he's you know still just walking the streets of el paso or his whereabouts if anyone knows uh, we'll keep our listeners posted Uh, in the meantime reed we have a new podcast we'd like to tell our listeners about
2: yeah we keep talking about it because we're really excited about it it's called strangeville
1: Uh, each episode tells a strange true crime adjacent true crime story Uh, And the first episode came out last week, and the second episode comes out this week. All right. And Spencer, people can find us on the Facebook group, as always, I know.
2: Yep. We have a Facebook group with uh, just over 6,000 members. It's called Inside the Crime Vault. We hope to see you in Inside the Crime Vault uh, to discuss this case and other cases like it with other like-minded true crime fans.
1: All right. And we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.